We are again continuing our study following the life and the ministry of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10. This will be part two. Uh, Just following, you know, our study from last week. Uh, dealing with uh, Jesus, the disciples, as he commissioned them to go out and to, and to preach the kingdom of heaven. I guess the, our theme of it last week is just insights in, into the ministry. Um, and again, please don't be confused when we use the word ministry. A lot of times people will associate that word ministry with like a pastor or an evangelist or something like that, you know, but in, in actuality, we're all in the ministry. Um, we all are called to be Christ-like, and um, we'll touch on that in a second. So hopefully you're there at our address, chapter 10, and I'm going to pick it up um, at verse 14, and we'll read through the rest of the chapter um, It says, and whosoever shall receive you, or shall not receive you, nor hear your words, well, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpent and harmless as doves. But be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to the council. They will scourge you in their synagogues. They, you shall be brought before governors and kings for my, my sake and for the testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak. For it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. The father, the child, the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall have not gone over the the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple to be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they had called the master of the house Beelzebub, How much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, hid that shall not be known. When I, that what I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what ye hear in the ear, preach upon the housetops. Fear them not, which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear, Fear him which is able to both or destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not the two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. The idea is knowing it. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more value than sparrows, many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now think not that I have come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall not be of their own house, or the man's foe shall be of their own household. And he that loveth father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that's received you receives me. He that receives me receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive the prophet's reward. He that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus made an end of the commandings or commanding his disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their city. <laughs> let's stand. Let's pray together. Please, Bible in hand. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We again have to say, Lord, we love you and appreciate. You put the desire in our hearts. You placed it there to be a disciple, a learner, to be a Berean, someone who is of noble character, rightly dividing the word of truth, God. This is all you're doing. And as the word says, it's marvelous in our eyes, Lord. Thank you. We pray that this desire, Lord, will only grow. That we would become more and more Christ-like, Lord. The older we get in you, the more Christ-like we should become. I pray for us today, Lord. If that has waned off. If that desire has, I don't know, Lord, has become mundane, plain, ordinary. And there's not that deep hunger in our hearts for this word. Please, God, I pray. That you would just water the desire, water that seed, let it become fruitful in our lives. We love you, God, and ask again for that anointing upon our minds and upon our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said together, amen, amen. Thanks, guys. You know, again, not to be real repetitive, though I have that habit of doing, um, but um, a servant, to be a servant of God. Um, You know, a long time ago, um, back in the Jesus movement, there was a Christian artist, his name was Larry Norman. He wrote this song, I Am a Servant. And when you read the lyrics to this song, it's, I am a servant. I've been waiting for your call. I have been sitting in the hall. And, you know, the whole song is about him waiting for this call upon his life. Now, I appreciate 
Larry Norman. I still have some of his old LPs and listen to him when I want to reminisce. But um, he's wrong. He's wrong. Once you become a Christian, there's no waiting for his call. You are called. You are thrust into the ministry. Maybe um, in a shallow way or in, uh, not, not in, a, in a way where you would classify someone as a pastor or someone as a, a paid evangelist, a Billy Graham and such. But we are all called. We're all called, we're all commissioned to go into all the world. Preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, look, I, I don't expect us all to think, okay, well, that means we have to run off to seminary and become pastors. No, but I think no matter where you are in life, if you just look around, you're going to see a congregation. Isn't that true? I raised six of them. Ninos, <laughs> little kids. They were my congregation for a long time. And I was commissioned you might walk, look around at your place of employment, an office, a factory, and you've got all these dear people. Sometimes we think, well, that's not ministry. That is ministry. We're called to go into all the world, not into all the churches. And I just want to make that clear because I'm going to reemphasize this over and over and over until death do us part. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to tell you, you are of great value for the kingdom of God. That God looks at you as messengers to spread the kingdom, to spread the good news. He has given us the authority to do so, by the way. Now again, I might mention this all over again, but um, I hope in, in the days to come, the weeks to come, I'll hear testimonies how you've taken the gospel back home or you've taken the gospel to your place of employment you've started a bible study possibly or maybe it's just one remember jesus reached out to his disciples one at a time but still the calling is upon our lives now getting into our study this morning jesus has grown in popularity i mean they are following him in fact, when we read the account that the multitude was thronging him, it literally means that they were tripping over each other just to stay in Jesus' presence. There's a huge crowd. So much, he would literally have to step into a boat, kind of push off from the shore a little bit so he could speak to the crowd, you know. In fact, the word, you think multitude means a lot of people. Well, in the Greek, it's multitudes. No, no, I don't even think that is in the English language, but it's, it's plural. It's just so many people. But when Jesus saw this group, he describes them in our text that they are a, she they are a sheep without a shepherd. Now, you just think of that. I, I know we're not farmers here this morning. Not many of us anyway. But just think of it. I mean, we have enough insight that, that a herd of whatever sort, they need, to be, they need to be watched. They need to be corralled. They need to have, some need to have fences put around them. Some need to, uh, oversight constantly and continually. They have to be guarded. Is that not true? 
you know, for, and, and, and I, you know, I appreciate that kind of work. But he likens this huge crowd like a herd of sheep, but they have no one, no one watching over them. They're exposed. Spiritually speaking, they're exposed to the elements, to the attacks, to the, to the wolves. They're, they're, you know, they're in danger. And the picture that you have there is that this is the way now Jesus views the world. When you look at your place of employment or wherever you're at among people and they're without Christ, they're in grave danger, spiritually speaking. Now, remember, he's speaking this to, by the way, he's speaking this to to his disciples. He's speaking that now to his disciples here. Now, I don't know about you. You're either going to believe the assessment from Jesus, or you're going to believe the assessment of the the latest polls or the latest news report of the media, or you're going to focus in on what Jesus says, his assessment of 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 the world. They are sheep without shepherds. The problem he he refers to here, the problem is there's a lack of laborers. And the solution to this dilemma is you'll notice in verse 38 of chapter 9, he says the solution to this, number one, is to pray about it. To pray. Now listen, that's not all he's going to ask his disciples to do. That's obvious if you've read through the text. But the number one thing for you and I, as we're looking at this lost and this dying world, instead of getting mad at politics, instead of getting mad, you know, at the condition and the depravity of this world, start to see people, literally start to see people that their destiny is hell. That will change your attitude, your outlook on on people, period. I, I don't know if it was just bad pepperoni I had ate one night, but when I was a young Christian, very young, I thought I had a dream or it was a vision. You know, Paul the Apostle, whether I was in the flesh or out of the flesh, I don't know, but this is what I saw. That's what I'm saying to you today. But I, w- I was just, just had given my heart to the Lord. I was on fire in love with Jesus. But one night I had this thing where I saw my friend stepping off of a curb but when they went to step onto the pavement, they were falling into a pit with a lake of fire waiting for them. It shook me up. My goodness, I just started praying and weeping for my friends. And the problem with getting older in the Lord and thinking we're growing in the Lord, that calling it doesn't have the impact that it used to when we were younger Christians. But he tells us that we should pray about this. Pray about the harvest and pray that God sends people into the field. Now, he does tell them to pray, but then he commissions them. You're going to receive power, you know, and I'm going to send you into the world. You're going to have power, authority over demons and authority over sickness. And then I want you to go. 
See, it's one thing to say, yeah, man, I got a heart for the lost world. I've been praying. But the Lord's voice will not stop there. He will commission you to go now. I'm waiting for my call. You have been called, folks. I say that trying very gently, you know, but it just gets under my skins when I hear people, yeah, I'm just waiting for God to call me. Call you for what? Dinner? Go, he says. Well, I just don't know where. Then just pick one. He said in all the world. What are you waiting for? People are dying. People are going to hell. Your loved ones are. Your close friends in the world are. And all we have to do is tell them that Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. Jesus rose from the dead. He was the one who paid for their sin and took on their judgment. And if you just believe that, my friend, you can be saved. What is so hard with that? He has commissioned us to go. And when we do go, we can honestly say that we are Christ-like now. Because when Jesus said, you know... That he came not to be served. Jesus didn't come with selfish motives. Like serve me, serve me, serve me. But he came to serve others. You want to really know how to become Christ-like? Become a servant. Walking on water isn't being Christ-like. Raising the dead is not being Christ-like. Being Christ-like, wanting to be like him. is just knowing that you have to serve others. To love others. To be like him. You with me this morning guys. Stick with me okay. I told you that I went. I just dug in this section of scripture. Starting in verse or chapter 9. That Jesus after he commissions them. Or tells them to pray commissions. He sends them. There's insights in just this little message. That Jesus gives them. Insights on the ministry, what it looks like, what it looks like, how we should handle ourselves, how we should handle ourselves. And we're going to just take them one at a time, if you don't mind. Now, I covered six of them last week. Anybody missing last week? Raise your hand if you weren't here last week. Where were you? No, just kidding. Just kidding. But let me give them to you real quick for note takers. Everybody note taking, study, students, you're a Berean. You're not a hearer of the word. You're a doer of the word. Right? You can be preached at and preached at and preached at till the cows come home. But man, to write things down, to make application to your lives is a whole other thing. Number one is Jesus using the word labors in verse 37. To serve him is work. Sometimes it is work. Sometimes it is getting down and getting dirty, right? Now, I don't mean literally meaning like physical work. Though that is part of serving Christ as well. Um, But just getting down with people. Getting down where they're at. Laborers. That's what's lacking. People who are willing just to give something up and go serve him. Number two. We see it in verse 1 of chapter 10. It requires a supernatural power. Now here in chapter 10 verse 1, the word power there is the word exousia, the Greek word. That word means authority. 
He could not have endowed them with dudamis, which we read in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. He gave them power there. It was dudamis. Here it's exousia authority. He could not have given them that explosive power yet. Because there was no outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That would happen later. When that did happen for the church, the early church, they received both. They received the authority of God to be servants of God. But they also received a power, a dudamis, an explosiveness for service. We see that in chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, number three, uh, mentioned there in verses two through four, we just see that God wants to use uh, ordinary people. These are just ordinary people here. Now, I don't mean they're all blue collar because that doesn't make you ordinary. I've seen some very odd people who were blue collared people. No, I'm just talking about people who thought God can't use me. We're just ordinary. I'm a, just a white, white collar office worker computer geek kind of guy. So why would God want to, not that all computer people are geeks, but why would God ever use me? Or I'm a blue collar. Man, I work on a trash truck. Oh, I do this, I do that. Listen, we have somebody in this church who's starting to be used of the Lord and he does work on a trash truck. And he's excited about serving God there. He wants to use just ordinary people like you and like myself. Amen, guys? In fact, to be quite honest with you, and I think I shared this last week, I don't think there's any reward for what I'm even doing today. I get too much joy and excitement being with you guys and loving on you guys and sharing the word of God. No, no, no. I think where I'm going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is when I go and maybe fix a toilet upstairs or I go and visit somebody that's in the hospital. Where you're not being recognized by anyone. You're just there serving the Lord so the advancement of the kingdom can move forward. You with me this morning, guys? But he just, he wants to use you. You can't just say, I'm too ordinary. You can't get any ordinary than Peter. I mean, that guy was just a stinky fisherman, man, for sure. You can't, you, uh, well, you know, my job doesn't allow me. Just think of Matthew. He could have used that as a cop out. No one likes me. I'm a tax collector. I'm shunned by everybody except sinners. But God chose him. Chose him. Number four. That we are to, no matter what we're doing, we are to deliver God's message. That should be the center Focal point of our ministry. He says, as you go, preach. The word preach means to proclaim or to herald. It doesn't mean that you need to come up with a three-point sermon for family devotions. It doesn't mean that when you get into your place of employment, man, you've got a well-polished sermon there. No, it says hurl something, proclaim something. And the message today for you and I is death, burial, resurrection. Amen? Number five, that he doesn't want us to, to, you know, to think, well, I I can't go. I don't have enough money. His idea of ministry is just to step out in faith sometimes. That he will provide as we step out in faith. He tells them in verses 9 and 10, 10, I don't even want you to provide anything for your journey. You don't take any gold. Don't take any silver. I don't even want you to take two walking staffs. I want you to just, you know, whatever you've got, you go with it. And you're going to watch how I supernaturally, I'll provide for you as you go. The emphasis is going, go. Go and I'll take care of you. You know, too many times we 
discourage people, especially young people. Oh, you're too young. You've got to make something out of your life first before you think about going. You know, you got, and we discourage them. And I don't think it's evil intent. I think it's fear. But nonetheless, it's still discouragement. It's still discouragement. Number six, verse 11. We cannot allow the love of comfort to dictate where we go or who we minister to. You'll notice in verse 11, he just says that whatsoever city you go to, wherever you find yourself, you, you don't decipher where you go based upon comfort. Man, I've been in some really ratty hotels. I was laying on a dung floor once in Africa. And uh, I had a buddy of mine next to me. We had these mosquito tents just over our, our tent. You think the Jersey mosquitoes bad? Man, these babies will take, up, take you away in your sleeping bag. But I remember we were, this is to lighten up things a little bit. You guys look like you just saw death. But... um. So all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, he lets out this scream. And so I'm trying to get out. <laughs> What's going on? You know, here, one of those geckos ran across his face. <laughs> Little starling in the middle of the night laying on a dung floor. Let me tell you something, guys. You don't go into the ministry because it's comfortable. Now, if we learn anything... In, in his service, we can find ourselves in some very, very uncomfortable situations even. Well, they don't like me. So what? Well, they might ask me to leave. So what? The, the guy at the gas station is pumping your gas. He's never going to take that handle and start beating you with it because you told him Jesus loved you. There's no need to be afraid. But again, comfort isn't something that we look for. Number seven, and this is where we left off last week. Who whatsoever or whosoever shall not receive you nor hear the word or your words. When you depart out of that house or that city, just shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it's going to be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And most of us understand what that means. Sodom and Gomorrah just a very uh, debased area, just to give you an idea, that it's more tolerable for them than it is for these people who have rejected the gospel message, rejected the disciples. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that no matter where we go, there's always going to be the possibility of rejection. Not everyone that we come in contact with face-to-face is going to embrace what we have to tell them. The idea of this dust, you know, brush off the dust of your feet, I think this thing has been interpreted, you know, um, and misused in a wrong way. I really do. It's a gesture. 
It's, that's what this is. It's like a, my grandkids, they know when, when I see them, I always do this with them. I mean, now it's funny to watch Maeve when she gets up. You know, I got a picture of her and I sitting in a, a picture and we're both doing it. There's just, we have this kind of a gesture, right? You know, and uh, this, forget about, you know, that kind of thing. And that's all this was actually in their day. And, and what he's saying is here, what he's not saying, pardon me, is when you go and you do that, that gesture, it's not saying or showing that you have superiority over them. It's not a display of anger towards them. No, what, it, it, what it's doing, it's the disciples are not minimizing the message they had preached in that, that town. See, see, let me try to clarify for you. There, were, there are some people even today, you, 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 you tell them you're a pastor, minister, or something like this, and um, they always want to give you something. They might say something like this, you know, we're not real religious, but man, we really appreciate what you do. Here's a gift towards that. Now, what Jesus is saying by a gesture is, you're not minimizing, you're not taking anything. You're going to have to live with what I just shared with you. I don't want anything from you. I'm just shaking this off. You have to deal with the consequence. It's more tolerable for, I think what we do is when we embrace gifts from the world because they appreciate what the church does for them, we have weakened that message. We have to not minimize the message. We have to make sure, listen, some people say, well, I like the Bible and it just brings me comfort. And indeed it should, but it also should bring great conviction. I was listening to a church commercial the other day, and they irked me to no end. But anyway, and this guy, as he's sitting at this pulpit and very arrogantly trying to share with this new movement that they they were promoting, he says, we want people to come to our church and not go away feeling guilty. You know, so you can come just as you are and leave just as you are. That's a tough pill for me to swallow, folks. The word of God is, is described as a double-edged sword. It's described as power, authority. The, pe- the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of his word and the exhortation, the teaching of his word. I pray that when you leave here, you're tr- different than when you came. I want you to feel like, you know, I haven't been serving the way I... I should be. And you know, I've grown a little mundane towards the things of God. You know, I'm going to lay that at the cross before I leave here. And I'm going to leave a different person. I hope that's what the word is. Not just for excitement and celebration and jubilation, you know. And though the word does do that, please don't get me wrong. But the church was not to make people feel good. The church... The ecclesia was to come on common ground, to grow in him and to be chast, chastened sometimes. God punishes the ones he loves. Amen? So that's, that was the, why that gesture. No, no, no. I don't want anything from you. And you're going to live with what I just preached toward you. And number eight, look at verse 16. He says, behold, I send you forth in the midst of wolves 
So be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And my goodness, this is another verse that has been taken out of context. Remember that context is Jesus is sending them into a world. And what he's saying here in this verse is, we're sheep and this is how you conduct yourself. You're to conduct yourselves like sheep, right? Um, Again, it's a word picture. He's sending them out into a dangerous world. But you are free to assess the situation. You're free to do that. You're free to, to make decisions based on wisdom. Now, I don't, it says wise as a serpent. I don't know how smart snakes are. But the, the emphasis isn't on the serpent. The emphasis is on um, the wisdom. Be wise. You can make assessment, you know. But the way you do that, again, um, harmless as dove, as you're making these assessments, you have to be loving and you have to be peaceful, you know. You know, some people get saved and they just think they have this right to continue to fight with people. They think there's a gift of arguments. They're very controversy. They're very argumentative. They're very, the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. Stop that. I have people that just set me up with questions, not for information. They want to fight with me. So what's, the Lord says, oh, I'd be wise as a serpent. Oh, don't answer this one, right, Lord? Is that what you're saying? Just keep loving them. Be harmless, you know. The servant of the Lord is not quarrelsome. He's not argumentative. You know, he's not. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us. When he says for, to contend for the faith, he's not saying within the body. It's the world. It is a privilege. And I use that word privilege. To be a servant, to be a messenger. But it's also a privilege to receive the message. No one will receive that message unless the Holy Spirit is bringing them to this place. You didn't bring them there. The Holy Spirit brought them there. If people begin to question you because they're very curious about the gospel, you have to treat that wise as a serpent, harmless as a a dove, because it is a privilege with what you're doing. And it's a privilege that they might receive Christ that day. Number nine. Number nine, 17 through 11. Let me read through it quickly. Beware of men. They're going to deliver you up to the councils and they're going to scourge you in their churches. (laughs) You're going to be brought before governors and kings for my sake and for the testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought. Don't worry about it. Of what you're going to speak. For it shall be given uh, to you in the same hour that you shall speak. The Holy Spirit will intervene. For it's not you that's speaking. But the spirit of your father that's speaking in you. Now brother's going to deliver up a brother. A father the child. A child. A children will rise up against their parents. Cause them to be put to death. This might sound very foreign to you. Very foreign. But in other parts of the world it's not. He goes on and he says, you're going to be hated of all men uh, for my name's, notice it's plural, sake. But he that uh, endures to the end shall be saved, not saved, delivered, 
will be delivered. Big difference. They persecute you in the city, flee to another. For verily I say unto you, and this is the prophetic part of it. You shall not have gone over the cities until of Israel until the Son of Man be come. Some, some think that he's in reference to the resurrection. Uh, some think it's very prophetic that when he comes, there's no need then to be going into all the world and preaching. But the point that he's making here within um, our ministries, that there might be times where you have to endure persecution. Now, listen, uh, I don't think, um, at least in my lifetime, uh, that someone's going to ask me to deny Christ or your head's coming off. But we've been around and we've watched probably more news than we need to. But that's not the case in other parts of the world where literally people are having their heads removed because they've decided to convert to Christianity or they discovered that there's a home in their church. I read a, such a sad article not too long ago about children having to deliver their mom and dad over to the authorities because they were Christians. Imagine the child, what the child was going through. Which, which Jesus is saying, that as you serve him, there could be persecution. Now, I'm not making light of what persecution you and I might have to endure. I've heard some very sad stories I've heard a story of a, a wife who had gotten saved and the, the, the husband literally say, it's me or your religion. And he meant it. Now, that's a, that is a form of persecution. And I've seen family members being disowned. In fact, there are parts of the country where if your children or a loved one gets saved, literally that family will consider you dead and will have a literal funeral for you if you become a Christian. So what he's trying to say to them, because they were very much entering into a very hostile time period, the Nero's are going to start killing Christians at a record rate. They're going to be used as human torches uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in, in their courtyards. And, and by the way, even the religious Jews are going to begin to kill off uh, the people of the way, uh, another name for the Christians of that day. And so he's, he's prophesying in a way that you will endure persecution. Now, when you compare the two, you put them on the scale. And I'm, again, not making light or minimizing what difficulties you might go through. But in light of what our dear brothers and sisters are going through, where it's literal martyrdom, I think we're able to endure whatever conflict we might receive here. Does that make sense? But again, the point that Jesus is making is, this is what you endure when you enter into servanthood, servanthood for the Lord. It could mean, mean that. Um, you know, I had a very close friend growing up from the seventh grade all, to, all the way to uh, we were seniors. And we were very close. You, if you saw me, that person was with me and vice versa. We were so that close together. And I remember I had gotten saved and I saw for sure they're going to want Jesus too. You know, and majority of my friends that I hung out on at Hill, at Hill Store, none of them really wanted Jesus. They, they didn't. A few of them had gotten saved. But uh, I remember this very dear friend of mine. I still pray today for them. Um, I remember they wanted to go to Fort Mount Mont to have a cake party. And I was a, I was a, a Christian, had been a Christian. 
And I was in a 1964 Corvair. Isn't it amazing I can remember my cars? It was a convertible, by the way. And so we were sporting in this convertible Corvair. And um, they asked if I was going. And I said, uh, not if there's drinking there. I, I don't think I want to hang. And I remember this close friend of mine and out jumping out of the car, slamming my door and said, I liked you better the way you were. And that hurt. You don't know how bad that hurt. It wasn't somebody I just met that year. I mean, and that's some persecution. But in light of what my dear brothers and sisters are dealing with in Assyria and Iran, you know, and some of these Indonesian places where literally they are saying, go ahead and take my life. I won't deny Christ. But... um. Yeah, the question is, the, the why? Why the hostility? Well, there's a number of reasons, and I don't want to make today just about that. But the number one is you're a light, and you reflect truth on error. When you go around people and you say, Jesus is the way, truth, and the life, and no man's coming to the Father but by me, people will take offense at that. There, there, and I actually had this told to me. Are you telling me my religion isn't going to cut it? This individual went on to tell me that he would rather go to hell. And, I, and that shocked me to, to no end. That, wow, really? That you're embracing your religion? So people will take offense and persecute you because you're basically saying religion isn't going to cut it, right? You also experience expose righteousness and wickedness, right? And let's face it, the reason people don't gravitate to the, to the light is because they love their darkness. It says this in, th- in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love their darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that does, and the word does there, it literally means practice, Everyone that practices evil hates the light. Neither will they come to the light. And here's the reason, lest their deeds should be reproved. Because their deeds will be exposed. That's, that's why people will persecute you. But don't think it's strange when you fall into these different types of tests. Don't be afraid when Jesus was talking to Peter one-on-one, he was, you know, Peter said, I'm never going to deny you, Lord. I'm going to be sticking with you to the end. And he says, no, you're not, Peter. You know what you're going to do? You're going to deny me that you ever knew me, my friend. And, and when he said that to him, right after that, he said to him, in John chapter 14, I believe it is, but don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And for in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you this behold I go to prepare a place and where I go I will come receive you unto myself you we will indeed face persecution and fear listen the thing that really blows my mind about this passage is who he's speaking to Do you realize that Jesus is preaching this or teaching this to kids? What do you mean, Aaron? All of these guys are in their 20s. There are some that are still yet teenagers. 
These disciples weren't older men. We've watched the Jesus movement or we watched the Passion and some of them looked like they're in their 50s and 60s. Not true. Can you imagine going to the college and career guys and saying, hey, hey, guess what, guys? Made this, this uh, t-shirt. Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life. And we're going to Iran to do street evangelism. To college and career kids. That blows my mind. It really does. Not that I have a, anything to say as far as instruction, but it just blows me away. It blows me away that when the Jesus People Movement started, the backbone was 25 elderly women praying in a meeting, but the revival touched teenagers, not adults. It was kids that got saved, kids becoming pastors, kids running halfway houses, kids becoming evangelists. But we tell them to wait and go to seminary and get their degrees and all. I don't know. I don't know. Number 11. No, number 10. The disciple's not above his master, nor is a servant above his Lord. It's enough for this disciple that he be like his master and servant like his Lord. But if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, kind of a weird name, huh? How much more shall they be call, uh, call them of, the ha- of his household? Listen, we cannot expect the world to treat us any differently. This is number 10. Than the way they treated Jesus. They slandered him. They lied about him. They plotted murder against him. They did call him Beelzebub. Someone said it means Lord of the Flies. I don't know. I just quickly looked it up in the Strong's. It literally means the prince of evil spirits. Be it as it may, I wouldn't want to be called a lord of a fly either. But, you know, they're saying his power and his authority, his display of love, all that is just from the demonic world. It's true, too, by the way, when they tell you that the gifts of the spirit are not for the day, that they're orchestrated by the, by the demonic kingdom it's blasphemy that the gifts of the Spirit are for his church and for the advancement of his church. But we can't expect the world to treat us any different than the way they treated Jesus. You, you would think that, that they would have a, a Christian appreciation day once in a while. It's funny, they have a pastor appreciation day uh, that some of these radio stations, um, I guess, they, they promote. Again, there's always, a, there's always a connection, by the way, whenever a radio station promotes something. They want something. Sorry for being so negative. But anyway, it's true. And, um, but, you know, no, you know, I... I I love it when you guys, I even get cards every now and then, appreciate you. And I love that. It's so encouraging. And uh, just keep doing it, you know. Build my ego up, fatten my head a little bit. We are never going to win a popularity contest by being a Christian. It's not ever going to happen. You might get recognized by the world of being a great pastor. You, You see Oprah doing it with 
with certain pastors, you know, how they appreciate how flexible that, but that someone who preaches the gospel, you know, that's an offense to the world. So we're not going to get the pats on the back. Great to hang in there. Way to go, Harry. I, and I'm not sure if I would even want that, be quite honest with you. I, oh my goodness, I royally blew it one time. This is probably the ultimate blowing it I've ever done. I got this thing called Alumni Achievement Award from the seminary I went to. Now, mind you, I've been out of school for how many years? So they want me to come and speak at their church chapel service, and they want to uh, give me this plaque for my wall. I don't even know where it is. It's somewhere in my basement, I think. Uh, and so I thought, okay, but I was really nervous as I'll get it. So I called my buddy from Calvary, Philly, um, Gil Trusty. We went to the same school together. It's a great buddy. And I said, Gil, you got to go with me, man. I am so nervous. I don't know what to expect, you know, but I really want to see the old campus and reminisce. So we went and I go to preach. I was just going to teach a message out of Galatians about grace and on. But when they, 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 the president of the school came up and they got this, this plaque and they begin to go through. I don't know where they found out that all this stuff about me. They knew about my trips to India and my trips to Nepal. And they found out that I was on the radio. They knew how many people listened to our program. And I'm thinking, what are you, a private investigator? You know, and, uh, and so, but it, it, it started getting sickening, you know. And, and I think the point that when they, they just hand it to me, I realized, you know, I, I don't, don't do it for the rewards. We do it because we've been called into the ministry to serve him. Amen, guys? That we do it. Even in light and face of persecution sometimes, in light, you know, that we know that maybe we, not, we might not win that popularity contest. You know where we're going to be remembered? In heaven, man. That's where we'll get the plaque. Right? Well done, you good, faithful servant of the Lord. And number 11, and I'm going to wrap this up quite quickly here. And that's in verses, um, verse 26 through 32. And basically what he's saying there, guys, is um, just to show them how to handle fear. Because no, no, matter, no matter where you find yourself in the service of God, there is always going to be an element of uncertainties. You know, will they, will they like what I'm sharing? And God, they've never received it before, but now you're calling me to do this, you know. Um, my, my, my life verse is, fear thou not, for I am with thee, Isaiah 41.10, you know. But I even think of good old Peter, you know, when Peter, you know, after he'd st he told the Lord that he would lay his life down, he would die with him. And he says, no, you're not, Pete, you're going to deny that you ever knew me three times, three times, you know. And again, just the way the Lord would encourage him, but don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let this stop you. So I think sometimes, guys, because maybe we've, you know, we've had people come against us, you know, that we don't have to be afraid what man can do to the body. Our concern is what God thinks. Amen. That's what he's kind of alluding to here. You know, even Paul, the apostle, as he was there in the area of Corinth. As he's in the area of Corinth, he, he has a vision. And Paul, there was a number of Paul uh, times where Paul would be gripped with fear. But he tells us in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. 
Again, Paul's in the area of Corinth. The Lord comes to him by a vision. He says, don't be afraid to speak. Don't be afraid to speak. Don't hold your peace. For I have many, many people here. And I think, guys, that is such the, that's the way you conquer your fear. You conquer that, that's, that thing of uncertainty. You just begin to look at the harvest. It is ripe. The assessment from God that there is a world out there that is willing to hear the good news. You know, you hear the polls like one out of ten will only. Don't, don't listen to that. But, you know, again, and I think I'm going to end, out, end this now if, if Richard, you'll come out, guys. And that is my last point here in verse 40 where he says, He that receives you receives me. That there are people out there waiting to do that very thing. To receive him. You know. And then. You, and, and I think when we have that. That in our minds. That, there, that neighbor possibly. Wants to know the truth. When you read chapter 11 verse 1. It says at the end of the commanding of his 12. He departed. Thence to teach and to preach. You know what he's saying there. You got to go sooner or later. You know, you just, you just don't think it's one school after another school or, or one conference after another conference. You know what he says to you and I even this morning? Go into all the world and pray. Make disciples, baptizing them. Here's the problem. I think we, the church in general uh, they don't, they don't have that urgency in their hearts about the return of Christ. Maybe they sense in their heart, you know, that it's not today, it's not tomorrow. You know. The Lord said we should think about the return of the Lord as if it could happen before we're done this sermon. They don't, in fact, it tells us in John 4, don't say that there's four months and then comes the destruction. You know what he says there in John? He says, look. Just look, lift up your eyes, for they are white and they are ready for harvest. You know what that tells me, guys? Your loved one's ready. Your children are ready. Where, your workplace, where whoever you're hanging with, they're ready. All we have to do is lift up our eyes and look at a world that's lost. And let the compassion of God just flow into your hearts. Someone came to you. Amen, guys? The first time my brother came to me and told me that there was a father that loved us, I didn't want to believe it because I just could not put my head around a father loving anyone. Then when he kept telling me how much he adored me and how much he wanted to deliver me, it wasn't one, the first time. I, re, I rejected then for almost a whole year. And then there came that time. Where all of a sudden, man, I realized that call was upon my life to receive him. And when his spirit came in, everything dark, everything I was ever associated with, left me. And what flooded my soul was life and joy. I might have put him out and put him off and put him off, but he saw a harvest. We slept in the same bedroom. I had to listen to God's not dead. He's still alive a million times. I said one time, he might not be dead, but you are getting close. 
It's a great teaching from our Lord to a bunch of young people to go into the world. I've given you the power. I've given you the authority. Go for it. Jesus did. Amen. Let's stand together. Let me challenge your hearts as you're just standing this morning. Again, we're just, we just finished up the book of James, you know. You have gone through the word with me today. We've covered a lot of passages, been encouraged in a lot of different areas. Just by the showing of your hands, did anything speak to you this morning? Anything out of that message? By that, that, that's, that's a great feeling in my heart. Now the next step, though, is we've read it. Now we've got to be what? Doers, right? And I don't want this to turn into something where you're going to just muster up enough strength and now, okay, I'm going to become another little Billy Graham. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying let's pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's ripe. Somebody needs to go. But then he's going to send you. He commissions and then he sends. How about we close this this morning in prayer, right? Whatever it was that just touched your heart this morning. Don't be a reader of the word and never put it into practice. Read it and be a doer. The prayer team will be up here. Come up. Get a little group of people. Go off into a corner. Pray for your calling. Pray that the Lord shows you who you're to take that message to. But just don't run home. Don't run home. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, for your grace, Lord. Lord, but we don't, want to, we don't want that to go in vain. Not in our lives. That we want to share this goodness that you have bestowed upon us. We want to share the very gift. And the calling that you placed on our lives is without repentance. There's no getting away from it. That which you have laid on our hearts this morning, God, we lift up before you. And we're going to pray about it, Lord. Because we know we've been commissioned and sent. We've lifted up our eyes and we see that it is ripe. But if it just remains ripe and there's no gathering, it only comes to ruin. Send me. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.